0: Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in LeCanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Ready to hear the Word of God? You know, um, um, Acts, the book of Acts, we've been uh, studying through it. It's a story of the growth of the church. I mean, what happens after the, uh, Jesus, right? Time and earth. What happens after Jesus dies and he's resurrected and he ascends to heaven? What then? How does the church spread? Um, and it seems to be headed for an, an epic conclusion, right? A, a, a massive, dramatic clash, right? Um, the gospel, um, the breaking in of God into the world starts in, of all places, Nazareth, right? Even the, the, the Jewish community had no respect for Nazareth. Does anything good ever come from Nazareth? Imagine saying, I'm God, I'm the king of the world, I'm from Wildwood, Florida, right? Um, I'm from a truck stop, um, you know, Nazareth, nowhere. And, uh, and yet we see that uh, on Jesus, um, uh, after resurrection of the dead, as he's ascending, about to ascend to heaven, he says to the apostles, why, you will be my witnesses. And uh, what is started here uh, will be in Jerusalem and it will be in Judea and it will be in Samaria and you will go where? Anybody know? To the uttermost parts of the earth you will take um, this gospel. And so that's what we see happen First at Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit comes, and all of a sudden, all the apostles are speaking languages they've never studied, languages of the people of the earth who are there, who have come into that city for that great holiday. It's a clear sign. God is taking this good news to every tongue and tribe and uh, nation. And then great persecution breaks out. Remember, Stephen is stoned to death, and that drives the Christians out into the area further, spreading the gospel. An Ethiopian is converted, goes back to Ethiopia. The gospel goes to um, North Africa. And, um, and then we see um, the amazing conversion of this man hostile to Christianity, um, persecuting Christians. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He comes to be called Paul. And then Paul goes um, to modern-day Turkey, every village, town, everywhere. Then he goes over to Ephesus. Then he makes his way north uh, to, uh, to Thessalonica and Berea and uh, to Macedonia. Down the other side of the Mediterranean, he goes um, to Corinth, though, sort of the wicked, the Las Vegas of the ancient world filled with thousands of prostitutes. And then the gospel goes to Athens, Mars Hill, the home of the philosophers. The, it, it, it's like Harvard, you know, it's, uh, it, it's like um, Cambridge, um, it's, it's, the head of, it's, it's the seat of knowledge of all the world. The gospel goes to Athens. But it hasn't gone where yet? To Rome. And here we have it. This is sort of the epic um, clash. All the way, Paul walks into Rome as a prisoner. Now, here's a map kind of what's happening. He's a prisoner. He's been in prison for a couple of years. They put him on a ship. He gets shipwrecked. They have an amazing uh, journey. They're in Malta. They go by Sicily up there, and uh, they don't put in in Ostia, which is the port up at Rome. They put in a port just uh, north of Pompeii, and um, and there they walk a hundred miles. Uh, his entourage up into Rome, and that's where we're going to pick up the story in um, in the fourteenth verse of uh, Acts chapter twenty-eight. So um, as they came into that port, the scriptures say, "Why don't I have you stand?" Let's do that if you're able. I may have you stand for the whole sermon. Gosh, that would be good. So there we found brothers. Um, there we found brothers, and we're invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there from Rome, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius in the the three taverns, to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked them and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when he had, they had gathered, he said to them, "'Brothers, though I have done nothing against our people "'or the customs of our fathers, "'yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem "'into the hands of the Romans.'" And when they had examined me, they wished to set me a liberty. There was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But the Jews objected, and I, and I appealed to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am in chains. And they said to him, this is the Jews' response to Paul, we've received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we do desire to hear from you what your views are with regard to this sect. We know that everywhere it is spoken against. What's the sect they're talking about? Christianity, what is this Jesus thing we're hearing about? We want to hear about that. So when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said. Others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. He said, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, and he quotes from Isaiah, That's a stab. And it says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Lord Jesus Christ, don't make us like the folks who heard the gospel from the apostle Paul and still they would not believe their hearts were they were stubborn. Their hearts were hard. Their ears were closed. They were religious people, but they would not hear you. Lord, we go to church. Many people who go to church won't hear you. Open our ears. Have mercy on us, so that we hear your word, Lord Jesus. We pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. So no death in the ancient world was considered more excruciating, more contemptible, more vile, more disqualifying than death by crucifixion. Tom Holland writes, to be hung naked, long in agony, swelling with ugly wheels on shoulders and chest, helpless to beat away the clamorous birds, such a fate Roman intellectuals agreed was the worst imaginable. This in turn was what rendered it so suitable a punishment for slaves. Executioners would make a spectacle of their victims by suspending them in a variety of inventive ways, one perhaps upside down with his head towards the ground, another with a stake driven through his privates. Everything about the practice of nailing a man to a cross was repellent. Now divinity was for the very greatest of the great, for victors and heroes and kings. And its measure was the power to torture one's enemies, not to suffer torture oneself. That a man who had himself been crucified might be hailed as a god could not help but be seen by people everywhere across the Roman world as scandalous, obscene, and grotesque. Do you get the point of this? It's unfathomable that any Roman would become a follower of a crucified criminal. The very act of being crucified signified that you were the lowest of the low. You weren't weren't God. You weren't the son of God. Um, deity didn't get crucified nobodies, criminals the vile they got crucified so into Rome walks a prisoner a follower of the crucified criminal and Rome is never the same again I mean what happens when the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world clash cue the hallelujah chorus right King of kings and Lord of lords, he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings, Lord of lords, forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I mean, look at this building. That's it. St. Peter's Basilica. It's not St. Caesar's, is it? Somebody said, um, you know, we name our children Peter and Andrew and John and we name our dogs Caesar. And Brutus, right? Um, so is the complete upheaval of uh, of the world as it was found at that day. I mean, what happened when the gospel got to Rome? That's what we're talking about this morning. What happened when the gospel got to Rome? And more personally, what happens when the gospel gets to Citrus County? What might God do with the gospel in our own community? What happens when the gospel gets to your house? What happens when the gospel gets to your family? What happens when the gospel gets to your marriage? What happens when the gospel bores into your own soul? It changes everything. You ready? Ready to rock and roll? Let's do it, take your sermon outline, right? And the first thing we wanna say about this gospel when the gospel goes to Rome is it produces a family like no other. It changes the earth. The, the tower of Babel is reversed, right? The confusion among the nations, the inability of people to work together, the lack of love, the enmity, the hatred. No, a family is produced. What happens when the gospel is unleashed in the world? It produces a family. God, Paul. Here's the story of Paul. Paul's made three missionary journeys, right? Uh, every time he returns to Jerusalem at the end of his journey... And um, at the third journey, he returns to Jerusalem where he is arrested. He's accused because of um, his inclusion of the Gentiles. See, this is the most vile thought to a Jew, God loving the Gentiles. It just could not be so. And uh, so he is accused of a capital crime. He's accused of defiling the temple. He's accused of, um, of um, v- violating the tenets of Judaism and uh, so he's brought to the Romans because the Romans had the authority for capital punishment. The Jews could not um, uh, kill anyone while they're under Roman authority. And so Paul is um, tried and the Romans find him um, innocent. Does this, this sound familiar to someone else in the Bible? Remember, Jesus is brought to Pontius Pilate. He's brought under, uh, to the courts. The courts say, I don't, we, don't, we find no fault in him, right? And yet the crowds are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. The Jews are demanding it. And so they demanded it of Paul, and Paul pulls out his ace card, and he throws it on the table. He's a Roman citizen. Jesus was not a Roman citizen. Paul's a Roman citizen. He can appeal all the way to Caesar, all the way to Rome. So Paul's thrown back in prison for two more years before he's finally shipped uh, to Rome. And uh, that uh, transport is something else. Um, but he arrives finally in 58 AD. So after months of, uh, of uh, and years of imprisonment, trial, shipwreck, Paul hits land, and who's there to greet him? Christians. Bible says brothers. These aren't his family. These are Christians. Christians are there. Um, to greet him. And they insist that, uh, that he stay there seven days uh, with him. You imagine what his Roman guard thought about this. Um, and, uh, and they take care of him and they give him um, hospitality. And then they head um, to Rome and Christians come out to greet him. Some of them come 50 miles out from Rome. Just to escort him all the way back in. How long um, did that take? We won't drive 50 miles out to greet somebody. Um, They walked 50 miles out to greet a prisoner coming in chains into Rome. Now that some of them came 50, some of them came 30. So, what's the picture? There's a growing entourage the closer and closer he comes um, to Rome. This is the kind of greeting reserved for who? Conquering generals. That's what the, uh, in the ancient world happened when a general, someone would spot the returning army coming back from battle, the conquering general, and they would sound the alarm and all of the city would go out uh, so that they could join in the parade, they could join in the celebration, they would bring them all back in. That's what the Bible sa- means when it says that when the, sound of the, when the trumpet sounds, then Christ will appear, Christ will be descending from heaven, and we will all go to meet him where? Where? In the air, it says, right? It's that picture. And then we don't go on up to heaven. That's not what it's saying. There's no rapture. Uh, Christ is coming to earth. Consider the wonder of that. Normally, when the conquering general comes into the city, who's behind him? Prisoners. The, 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 the spoils of war, right? And they're coming in in chains. Here we have the prisoner in chains. Is the one being lauded, right? Right? It's the beauty of the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? His brothers have come all the way out to welcome him. And you know what the Bible says? Paul thanks God for it and he gets fresh courage, right? Imagine the life of the Apostle Paul, how hard it is. You know, it's very easy to say as as a church, um, the Apostle Paul is the greatest gift, the, the greatest theologian, the writer of so much of the New Testament, the greatest gift to the church. But we Um, we should also recognize the gift that the church is to the Apostle Paul, right? They come out, brothers come out. The gospel produces family. We see this picture of family. And I want to ask this morning, do you know the beauty of the family of Jesus? Do you know the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ? The Bible says there are friends that stick closer than a brother. Moses is failing And alongside him come Aaron and Hur. You know the story in the Old Testament. If he keeps his arms up, Israel prevails in battle. But he's weary, he's tired. The battle lingers on. He can't do it anymore. So these others come alongside him and they hold him up. Here's the picture, right? Frodo isn't gonna make it, right? To Mordor without Samwise Gamgee. We have each other the church. This week... um, we saw it um, Last um, um, Friday, we learned of a tragic death of a man in our church, a lovely um, family, lovely daughters. Carrie Peters and her daughters, Ed uh, Peters, died. and we've seen the church rally um, to help um, in this um, tragedy. It's beautiful. It's beautiful when we love each other, so many help that don't even know the family. Necessarily. Last night, a woman told me she normally hands out bulletins at that door. She said she wasn't here last week and she got five or six calls during the week. How are you? Are you okay? What's wrong? You know, um, she said that felt so good to be cared about or to be recognized. Um, You know, sometimes when I talk about the church being a family, being for each other, being cheering each other on, how desperately we need that, I think there's some people say, I've been going to Southern Earth for years. I've never experienced that. Well, exactly, you're in a room with a bunch of people like you, right? Um, so that doesn't mean we're good at it, uh, but, that, but that doesn't change the fact that we all desperately need it, and that's Christ, uh, what he desires for his church, and that's what by his Holy Spirit we'll become. And so rather than whining that you haven't received it, what do you say? Let me do my part to make sure nobody else uh, gets left behind. The church of Jesus Christ, we desperately need each other. Now, you know, twice in the last week, I sort of had the opportunity, responsibility to say to somebody, you know, we've been having church for all, during the last couple of years, and I haven't seen you. Um, you know, maybe it's time to come back to church. You know what, but I don't, that's not what really what I, that's not what I'm saying. Go to church. Go to church. Because you know what go to church means? It means go to the worship service of the church. So that's really important to go to the worship service of the church. Of course that's important. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. One day set apart, uh, unique by God. But that's not what I'm saying. Be the church is what I'm saying. Be the church, brothers and sisters. They weren't going to a worship service when they went and found Paul and walked back with him into Rome, knowing what he was facing as he comes in chains, his life at stake, uh, probably to be executed there in Rome. Can you imagine the risk they were even running? I mean, you want to go out and join the party of the victor, right? You want to sign on to the guy who's winning, but they're going out there to to identify with somebody who's going to be identified as an enemy of Rome. And they go stand with him. So it's not go to church, it's be the church. Be brothers and sisters and family, mutually connected, getting to know other people. That's why we say when church is over, you don't run for your car, right? Because worship is over. Church isn't over. Church is just starting at that point, right? How can we, we, you know, we bear one another's burdens. We cheer each other on. We do life together. It's an amazing thing, the church of God. There's an obscure um, passage in Romans at the end of Romans. So Paul writes to the Roman Christians before he gets there. He's in Corinth. And in this, uh, So here's the greatest theological treatise ever given to the church. We still pour over the book of Romans. But when you get to the last chapter, Paul isn't teaching anything anymore. All he's doing is recognizing people. And he's saying, so-and-so greets you, so-and-so, please greet so-and-so, please greet so-and-so. It's just a list of names all through. What can we learn from that? And we come to this amazing part. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman." And then there's this weird line: "I Tertius, who wrote this letter? greet you, Lord, what do you mean Tertius? I wrote the letter. Paul wrote the letter. Who's this impostor? Who's Tertius? What kind of name is Tertius? I baptize a lot of people. People give their, their, their kids Bible names all the time. Jezebel, I baptize you Jezebel. You know, they give Bible names. Somehow or another, it's going to be a, 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 some blessing on a child to have a Bible name. Abimelech, I baptize you Abimelech. There's all sorts of Bible names. I've never baptized a Tertius. You know what Tertius means? It's a name for a slave. It means third. Slaves didn't get names because slaves weren't people, they were what? Property. So they didn't get a name. It's a way of devaluing them. And so the firstborn of the slave was one, and then two, Tertius is the third, right? Tertius is the amanuensis, Tertius is the scribe. Tertius has been a slave. He's the one writing the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul, as he's greeting all these people, says, hey, Tertius, put your greeting in there too. Because Tertius matters. Look at what the rest of it says. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church. So he's host to me and the whole church. That means he's what? He's got the biggest house. There's no buildings. There's no church buildings. Gaius has got the biggest house. And Erastus, he's the city treasurer. There's some big cheeses in this group in Corinth. And also our brother Quartus. Who's that? Four. Tertius three, Quartus four, Quintus five, another former slave. That's the church of Jesus Christ. Every stripe of people, every nation, every ethnicity, poor, rich, prominent, educated, highly educated, not educated, all in one family. It's the most beautiful thing that um, God has done. This is the power of the gospel, or the impersonal, that our impersonal, lonely world so desperately needs, where people go, have a place where they're loved, where they're seen, where they matter. How deeply we need to know that we are not alone, right? I am with you. I am with you always. But how do we know that? God mediates his love to us through each other, it's the church. Be the church. So I told the story to the teachers this week in the hope that it might encourage them when we met um, together this week that a number of years ago, I was in a men's group in the church and they were having these men's um, rallies all over the nation in, in stadiums. Thousands of people would go and they had one in St. Petersburg, Tropicana Field. And um, uh, so I went with my men's group. We went there. We were sitting up in the cheap seats, um, the nosebleeds, and, um, and they got all the way through all the speakers, all the events, the whole thing. And um, at the very end, they said, okay, all, anybody who's a preacher here, we want you to come down and stand on the stage. We're going to like pray over you. And I'm thinking, I'm not going down there. Um, I don't do this kind of thing. It's kind of, kind of a little Pentecostal too. There's going to be, somebody's going to try to make me a tongue speaker down there right on that stage. <laughs> And uh, there's going to be people laying hands on me and it's going to get all, um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I they can pray for me. God knows I'm here. He knows where I am. And uh, all the guys that go, go down there, go down there. You got to get down there. Who do you think you are? You think you're so, you don't need that. Go down there. So whatever, whatever, I'll go down there. I mean, I spotted a place way in the corner behind a speaker. I could stand and, uh, I'll get to my car first before those guys. And, uh, and, and, and as I'm going on, you know, people are cheering, and the whole place is cheering and clapping, and and blah, la and um, and then all of a sudden we get on the stage, and before they pray for us, forty thousand people start to chant, "We love you, we love you." Now I'm not going through any crisis in my life. I'm not facing any particular great burden. I'm not aware of any need in particular that I bring to that moment. But somehow, I still don't know what happened. But this cascading sound overcame my resistance. And inside of me, it was the the voice of God. And I began to weep like a baby. And I I still don't know what what to make of that. Other than that deep inside of me and deep inside of you is a deep need to be what? What? To be cherished, to be loved, to be supported, to be cared for. You know, I talked to a preacher this week. He told me the first year of being a preacher, in one sermon, he used the word snot. It was almost like his first sermon uh, that he gave as a preacher. He used the word snot. (laughs) And there was a guy who wouldn't let it go and like persecuted him and brought it up in meeting after meeting. He was there on Monday morning, first thing, to rebuke him for using the word snot in his sermon. And, and that's just not right. Um, it's just not. Gosh, how, pr- how, how prone we are to be critics. Um, like Paul, when we are with each other, we should depart saying, on being with them, I'm being with my brothers and my sisters. I thank God and I took what? Courage. I took courage. The family. There's nothing like the family. You got it? Secondly, what happened in Jerusalem, not all, in Rome, not only do we see a family um, created by God, we see um, tribulation, difficulty, hardship. That's what happens there. What happens when the gospel goes to Rome, it, it advances. But here's what I want you to see. It advances not in spite of Paul's suffering, but because of it. The gospel advances because of suffering. Wherever the gospel goes, God's people are going to suffer. Paul is arrested in Jerusalem. He's subject to endless trials. He's imprisoned for two years. He's threatened with assassination. He's shipwrecked. He nearly drowns. He's almost killed by the soldiers. He's poisoned by a snake. He arrives as a prisoner. He's in chains. Isn't it fascinating that so many people who claim to follow Jesus think that becoming a Christian is a route to prosperity? Think that becoming a Christian is a, is a route to a life of ease? your best life, right, is to be a Christian, and that God owes us that. And when we encounter the cancer of one of our children, when we encounter the bankruptcy of our business, when we encounter the divorce uh, that comes into our marriage, then we rail at God, and we, you know, because why doesn't God understand? This is a quid pro quo, right? We worship him, we follow him, we throw a few dollars in the plate, and then he's got to do his part, right? Right? Because a life of ease is the life that we want. That's the life we deserve. And it's God's job to give us that. And when he doesn't, we shake our fist at God and say, I don't think I even believe in you anymore. I'm not a Christian anymore. Um, Do you know the, the beauty of suffering is it weans us from this false narrative that the way to life is a life of ease. What does it say in Acts chapter 14? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Suffering is the way of the Christian. It's normative, right? It is the Christian um, narrative, right? Crucifixion, then resurrection. You got it? Um, the way of the Christian life is hard. And, and, and what I want you to see is that adversity actually enhances gospel opportunity. Adversity doesn't stop the gospel. It is the way of the gospel. Adversity is the way of the Christian life. We don't be shocked by it. God will be with you in it. It's no fun. It's awful. Yesterday, I, I, I tasted and I felt the awfulness. I told you about crying many years ago. Yesterday I wept again because I looked into the face of the awfulness of of brokenness in this world, Um, it's not easy, it's hard to suffer, but it enhances gospel opportunity, right? Paul, just think about Paul, what happens? He's chained to a guard. The guards, Roman guards changed every four hours. That means that he's chained to six different guards every day for two years with the Apostle Paul, chained to the Apostle Paul, guard after guard after guard. How many of them do you think were converted? How many of them do you think became the leaders of the early church um, in Rome? He didn't have to invite an audience. He had an audience chained to him. Paul wrote um, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians in those two years. When he was re-imprisoned a few years later, he wrote First and Second Timothy and Titus, all this time was time for Paul to write down what we so desperately needed. Right? You know, I was I was telling folks this week that um, sometimes um, uh, people come to you as a pastor and they say, "My marriage is um, is rotten." Say it's a guy he comes and says, "My wife, she doesn't love me. Um, she's always annoyed uh, by me. Um, she's a constant critic." Um, she's a scold, Um, um, I'm tired of it, I'm not getting any affection, I'm not, uh, uh, this is not what I signed up for, and uh, I'm divorcing, I'm out of here. What do you say, pastor? And my response is, it looks like it's going according to plan, exactly according to plan. The Bible is, I, uh, I, and you, you know the Bible, yeah? You believe the Bible, yeah? The Bible says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. What kind of bride is the church to Christ the groom? She's awful, right? What are we to Christ? We're constantly lukewarm. We don't love them like we should. We don't give them our affection. We ignore them all the time, right? We're the worst bride ever. That's the whole point of being a husband is so that you can show the gospel of Jesus' love for the church. You can model it before a watching world by the way you love your wife. So your wife's rotten. So was so his wife. And you get to love a rotten wife. That's beautiful. What a privilege. And you know the advantage of that advice? Nobody comes to me for marriage counseling. More time for Golf. This week, uh, uh, there was a video. It was uh, sort of went viral. It was a, a Little League baseball game. I bet you saw it, many of you. And so the pitcher in the Little League game throws a ball, and he hits the batter in the head. Now, he doesn't mean to. This is like the Major Leagues in some mono mono clash. This is, you know, it gets away from him, and, and, the, and the kid goes down like a sack of potatoes, and he's thr- writhing on the ground. You think, oh, gosh, this is horrible. And... Um, turns out the ball really kind of hit his helmet and glanced off and he's not injured and and he gets up and he trots down to first base the kid who got hit by the ball and all of a sudden the game just freezes because they notice the pitchers really upset you know he threw the ball that hit the kid he thinks the kid's really hurt and he's he's too emotional out there on on the pitching mound and he's just standing there and he's frozen and he's afraid and he's quivering and the next thing you know Something that doesn't happen in Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball or College Baseball or Little League Baseball. <laughs> the, the kid that got hit by the ball just walks off the base and walks up to the mound and hugs the pitcher and says, you're doing great. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. You're doing great. See, that whole beautiful picture of sportsmanship and love and kindness wouldn't have happened if... A kid hadn't gotten hit in the head with the ball. You see adversity is the opportunity for the gospel. Do you get it? Adversity is gospel opportunity. Johnny Erickson when she was 17 years old was a cheerleader, homecoming queen, beautiful, young, popular girl, dives in a lake with her friends, hits her head on the bottom, severs her spinal cord, and becomes a quadriplegic. And she has now lived as a quadriplegic for 55 years. I think she's one of the longest living people with quadriplegia uh, in world history that people know, knew. What a horrible, horrible tragedy. What suffering she has experienced in her life. But because of her and her organization, she got converted. She wasn't a Christian when that happened. Uh, But she formed an organization um, for um, disabled and handicapped. Her organization has um, hosted a camp uh, and conferences for 64,000 people have come, special needs families. She's given out more than 200,000 wheelchairs Over the span of those um, 55 years, she was a key to the passing of the Americans with Disability Act uh, in our country, in Washington. All of that only because, what? The most horrible thing happened to her. Do you get it? God's advancing his kingdom through suffering. Through suffering. A woman came out. Then Arthex a number of months ago, and she grabbed me after the service and she said, I think I need to be a Christian. I said, What's going on? She said, My husband died in the last year. And uh, and even though I'm not a Christian, I railed at God for that. But meanwhile, my friend's husband also died in a terrible, tragic way. And she had such peace and joy because she belongs to Jesus, right? And the woman prayed to receive Christ. That woman's in this room this morning. She doesn't miss a week here. How did all that happen? Because her husband died. Because another woman's husband died. Because of suffering. Suffering is the way of the Christian life. If any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Crucifixion, cross, suffering. All right, what happens when the gospel gets to Jerusalem? Third and finally, not only does it form a family, not only does it advance in the midst of suffering, but it's unstoppable. It's absolutely unstoppable, invincible. So, what does Paul do there? First of all, he invites the Jews. Uh, Every city he went to, wherever he went in the world, there weren't many Jews in Rome. Most were the Gentiles there. But but he gathers the Jewish community together because he's going to give them the first chance. That's the way it is. They're the chosen people of God. They get first dibs, right, Uh, at this great gospel news that God has come into the world. Um, The king has come. The long-awaited Jewish king has come into the world. He gathers them together, and he explains that he has nothing against them. Um, that he's been imprisoned, prison. Um, he, he appealed to Caesar so that the Jews in Jerusalem didn't kill him, but he has nothing against his people or his nation. Um, and all the people say, we don't know, we haven't heard about this. We, we've seen no witnesses against you, but we are interested because there's a lot of talk on the street about, about this Jesus sect. And so Paul gathers all the Jews together and he spends all day long. And from the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, from the law, from the prophets, From their own scriptures, he gives them Jesus. And when he's done, after all day, some believe and some do not. And before they walk away, Paul says, the Holy Spirit said this would happen. The Holy Spirit said this about you. He said it in Isaiah chapter six, that though you would be brought this wonderful truth that that your eyes would be uh, closed, your ears would be stopped, and you would, you would resist, and you would not believe. Now, can I call just a time out for a second? This, this, is, um, this is where, okay, the book of Acts is over. The book of Acts is over. But, but what about Paul? It's like, it's like the movie ends, and we didn't get the final resolution. What happens to Paul? What happens to Paul? Well, what happens to Paul is that he's there in Rome for two years, and he's apparently never really tried because no witnesses ever come because the Romans hated false witnesses, um, and no witnesses ever come from Jerusalem. And so he is exonerated, and he's set free. And you know where Paul goes? He goes to Spain. Spain. Um, and there he starts churches in Spain. If he had enough time, he would have gone to France. He would have gone to what is modern Belgium and the Netherlands. He would have gone to England. He would have gone to Scotland. He would have gone to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? He goes and starts churches there. He writes um, more of the New Testament, and uh, then in 64 AD, something happens. Does anybody know? Rome catches on fire. Vast parts of Rome burns. Who's responsible? Apparently the emperor Nero. But he needs a scapegoat. So who does he pin the fire on? The Christians. And they arrest the apostle Peter. And Nero puts Peter to death by crucifying him. Remember what we said about crucifixion? Only Peter... History tells us, refused to be crucified like Jesus, so he requests to be crucified upside down. And then they arrest the apostle Paul. And Paul can't be crucified because he's a Roman citizen. And so they cut off his head. 64, 65 AD, Peter and Paul are both killed by Nero in Rome. And guess what? It doesn't stop the gospel And that's the point of the end of the book of Acts because Acts is not the story of Paul. The last line of the book of Acts says that Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance because nothing stops the kingdom of God. You can kill the pastors, you can kill the apostles, you can kill the savior and nothing stops the kingdom of God There's nothing that can bind the work of God from advancing. That's what it says in 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But these are the last words Paul writes. He says, but the word of God is not bound. 2 Timothy is the last words of the Apostle Paul. He's executed days after He finishes writing that book, you ought to read it. Paul tells his young friend Timothy, his last charge. You can threaten, beat, imprison, and kill my people, but the gospel is unstoppable. You can make it illegal, you can forbid it in school, you can mock it in the university, you can marginalize it in in modern culture, but my kingdom will advance. So last two words. Number one, can I tell you something? Be soft-hearted, not callous. Be soft-hearted, not callous. When the gospel comes to you, either your heart will soften and you will receive it, or your heart will grow hard. Which will it be for you? Right here, this very day, you have heard the gospel. Whatever reason you walked into this room, either you will be soft to it, or the hearing of it and the repulsing of it, the pushing away of it will make you harder. And as a pastor, I would beg you, soften your heart. So Diane and I watched a movie on uh, Amazon called 13 Lives. It's about the rescue. True story, a couple years ago, these Thai boys, 12 boys and their soccer coach run into a cave for fun, and monsoon rain hits, and they're trapped in a cave. Their rescue is impossible, Nobody in Thailand, nobody in Asia can get to these boys. A couple British divers who are cave divers, the greatest in all the world. And amazingly enough, they're they're almost two weeks before anybody even knows they're alive, but these divers find them. The problem is it takes these skilled divers with masks underwater to navigate through this cave like six hours to get to them. So how do they get them out? How do they get them out? These boys don't even know how to swim. These divers and their tanks and all that they need to swim all that way underwater, how are they gonna get these 13 people out of that cave? Imagine these divers making this miraculous discovery, getting all the way through uh, that totally flooded cave like nobody else in the world has the ability to do. Others died trying. Imagine getting all the way back there and saying to the boys, We're going to get you out. And the boy said, no, we got it. That's the person who says to God, you came from heaven. You were crucified to reconcile us to God, to get us out of the cave of our own ignorance and disbelief and our own self-reliance. You came all the way in to get us. And now we're face to face with you. And we say, I'll do it myself. I don't need you. Doubt. Be soft. Be soft to Jesus today. Today, don't push him away. And the only other thing I'd say is be confident. If you belong to Jesus, be confident. We have way too many professing Christians in our world today who are mopers, they're frightened, they're doomsdayers. I mean, what if China took over the United States? What if liberalism took over the United States? What if Trumpers took over the United States? What if, the, what if church was outlawed? What if Christian schools were outlawed? I want to tell you something. If any of those things happen, you know what will happen? The gospel will advance. The kingdom of God will advance. And it will probably advance faster. So quit moping. Relax. God can't be stopped. What happened when the gospel went to Rome? The gospel won. It always does. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, may we be your resilient, glad family of people who love each other, love our world. Serve our world. Cheer each other on. Face adversity and hardship and know that you're at work in it. And live with joy in our hearts. Because we're a part of the advance of the kingdom of God. May it be so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.